Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Anyone Can Learn Bitcoin. I am your host, Colin Anderson, and I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in January of 2021. Since then, I have read and listened to many books and podcasts spanning monetary history and, of course, Bitcoin. Today I will be doing an Anyone Can Learn Bitcoin mini episode where I try to answer the question, what is money? To get a holistic first principles understanding of what money is, you need to understand the dimensions, functions, and properties of money. First off, before we get into any of that, let's start with money's value proposition. Money facilitates trade, and without money, we would have a barter system. Barter means you would go to a market and pay 20 chickens for a cow or 20 tomatoes for a chicken. Basically, you negotiate for goods and services based on what you produce or have to trade. So, money's primary value is being value. How do we define value? Well, over time, there are certain characteristics that show us what humans value, and they can best be defined by the word saleability. Saleability is that which has the lowest rate of declining marginal utility will be chosen to facilitate indirect trade. In simpler terms, we as people will choose the money that is both easy to spend and holds its value. Now, let's get started and dive into the dimensions of money. Time, space, and scales, the three dimensions of money. Time refers to how long can the money remain valuable. Space refers to the physicality of the money. Is it easy to transport or protect? Scales refers to the unit breakdown of the money to get accurate prices on goods or services. Think of the US dollar and its pennies. Let's go through some examples of saleability using money that we already know, like gold, the US dollar, and of course, Bitcoin. Starting with gold, it has historically been great at holding its value across time, but is hard to transport across space. Breaking it down into smaller units was also difficult. Coins were clipped and shaved as they circulated across kingdoms and lost value over time. The gold coins became increasingly less valuable over time when we tried to increase their scalability with coins. You will notice that if a certain money is not inherently strong in one dimension, whether it's time, space, or scales, that it will have to make trade-offs between them to increase the value in another dimension. For instance, gold holds its value very well over time, but when you try to increase its scalability by making it more spendable with coins, the time value is damaged because the coins themselves are being shaved and clipped over time, leaving you with less gold. Fun fact, if you have some change near you, like a quarter, a penny, or a nickel, um, you'll notice that the ribbed edges of the coins um, are actually a security me mechanism for the coins um, to ensure that it hasn't been clipped or shaved. Okay, let's move on to the U.S. dollar. Historically, the U.S. dollar has not maintained its value over time. In the last 100 years, the value of $1 has devalued over 99.5%. Even since 1970, the dollar has devalued over 86%. Unsurprisingly, that was also the time when we officially severed the connection between gold and the dollar. If you didn't know, the U.S. dollar officially came off a gold standard in 1971. 
instead of a hard asset backing our currency today, it is backed by the U.S. government, which basically means by force or by decree. Um, That being said, however, the dollar is pretty good at moving across space and can be divided and grouped across scales. Um, We have several bills and coins to get exact dollar amounts, however. The physical nature of dollars is cumbersome, and that is why we are going more digital with our payments. The caveat of having digital money that is not backed by hard assets is that it makes the cost of producing more dollars very cheap, essentially free. This is most evident in the last 50 years as we have grown into a digital age and inflation is running rampant. Finally, we have Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been the best performing asset of the last 13 years. So over time, it has actually appreciated in value, whereas gold and the dollar have decreased over time. It can easily be moved across space because it is digital and can be divided or grouped to pay the exact cost of anything. Each Bitcoin can be broken down into 100 million units so you can get precise um, when pricing in Bitcoin. Now, that is the basic high-level understanding of the dimensions of money. Let's get into the meat a little bit more and talk about the functions of money. The functions of money are store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account. These functions of money are chronological, meaning money has to function as one before the next. First, you have to start as a store of value. Then, when enough people value it, it becomes valuable enough to trade with as a medium of exchange. And then people start pricing goods and services in the money, qualifying it as a unit of account. Gold was first introduced as a store of value for its scarceness. It was impossible to create gold without mining it. And it was scarce enough that mining never led to a huge increase in the supply, which would devalue everyone else's gold. From there, gold was then used as a medium of exchange to purchase goods and services. People would trade gold for other objects or even pass it down to their heirs. Eventually, gold became a unit of account, which means it became so highly sought after that everyone priced their goods and services in gold. Today, our unit of account is the dollar. Even at the world stage, goods and services are primarily priced in dollars. But one thing to keep in mind is even though dollars are our unit of account, that doesn't mean they are the best store of value as well. Gold is a great store of value and unit of account, But when used as a medium of exchange, there were many issues of corruption and theft, like the coin clipping and the shaving. So gold is great at being a store of value and unit of account, and the dollar is great at being a medium of exchange and a unit of account. We have yet to have a money that is great in all three dimensions, being a meaningful store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account. However, Bitcoin has proven itself to be a great store of value over the last 13 years but is yet to be a widely used medium of exchange. This is because of many things, but if you think about it, Bitcoin will have to be a widely used store of value before it would be used to pay for common goods and services. This is trending up and people are becoming more open to the idea of selling items for Bitcoin. For instance, Tesla tried using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange for their vehicles in 2021, but because the price of Bitcoin is so volatile, they had to end that program. Until Bitcoin reaches a relatively stable price level, there won't be many payments as a medium of exchange. As far as Bitcoin being a unit of account, again, it has to be a medium of exchange first before most people start 
uh, pricing everything in Bitcoin. So now that we understand the dimensions and functions of money, we can move on to the properties of money. Okay, so there's going to be some overlap between the dimensions, functions, and now properties of money. So everything should start to make a little bit more sense after this. There are six main properties of money. There are scarcity, durability, acceptability, portability, divisibility, and fungibility. Scarcity, we all understand that, or do we? The question to ask is how hard is it to make more of the money? There are different levels of scarcity, and gold, as we all know it, is pretty scarce. But gold actually has an inflation rate of around 2 to 3% annually. So 2 to 3% of the outstanding gold supply is mined every year. So, using the rule of 72, which just means how long does it take for the, the supply or the money to double, um, that means the quantity of gold in the world doubles every 24 to 36 years. So you take 72 divided by 2 to 3% and you get 24 to 36 years. Um, so even if we had dollars backed by gold, the supply of dollars would double roughly every 30 years. In my opinion, this is not sufficiently scarce enough because the whole point of saving is to delay a smaller purchase today to make a bigger purchase tomorrow. Next up, we have the property of durability. This asks the question, how durable is my money? Can it be destroyed or artificially created? Take gold, for example. We, as a species, have been using gold as currency for the last 5,000 years. The durability of gold is tremendous because you cannot destroy it. You have to physically mine it out of the ground, and it does not corrode over time. In contrast, the U.S. dollar is roughly as old as our country, so around 250 years old, and compared to gold, the U.S. dollar's durability is low because you can physically destroy it and artificially create more. At least with gold, you have to physically take it from the earth to generate more of it, so the durability in regards to inflation is quite high, whereas the government can print money with the push of a button. Next, we have the monetary property of acceptability. This asks the question, will my grocery store or fellow humans accept it as money? The U.S. dollar has a very high acceptability no matter where you are in the world. For instance, if you go to Central America or or any Caribbean country, the locals generally prefer to be paid in U.S. dollars compared to their local currency. Gold, on the other hand, is seen as, a value, seen as valuable, but it would be cumbersome to be paid in it. This goes back to the coin clipping and shaving mentioned before. Gold is still valuable, but only in the U.S. dollar sense of value. If you found a gold brick, you wouldn't walk around trying to pay for things with it. You would bring it to a currency exchange and get dollars to spend. Our fourth property of money is portability. This asks the question, how easy is it to transport money? Gold has very low portability because it is heavy and prone to theft. The U.S. dollar in its paper form has average portability because it is relatively light in large amounts. The U.S. dollar in digital form with our credit and debit cards is highly portable, depending on where you are in the world, of course. Now, there's an important distinction to make here. The debit or credit card doesn't actually have the money on the card. It is associated with a centralized bank that is connected to an account. This means your money is only as good as your bank says it's good. This can be a problem if you are in another country and want to have access to your money. 
Think of a war-torn nation where many refugees are fleeing the country. How are they going to bring their wealth with them? Our fifth property of money is divisibility. This one is pretty straightforward. It asks the question, can the money be broken down into smaller units for payments and pricing? We have already discussed this with gold and the troubles with goals with gold has had um, with regards to divisibility and coinage. The US dollar is divisible into cents down to the penny. Another way to think of it is there are 100 units in $1. Gold has low divisibility. The US dollar has above average divisibility. The last property of money is fungibility. Basically, this asks the question, is one unit of the currency the same as another? One US dollar can be exchanged for one US dollar. One ounce of gold can be exchanged with another ounce of gold. They are of equal value. Now I am going to discuss all of these properties in relation to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the first perfectly scarce asset to exist. What this means is we know exactly how many Bitcoins are in existence and we know how many there will ever be. There are close to 19 million Bitcoins as of March 2022 and there will only ever be 21 million as programmed into the distributed software that thousands of nodes run at the same time. That might have confused you a bit, but all you need to know is that there is a set amount of Bitcoin that can ever exist and average people like you and me can audit this number whenever we want. Um, so moving on, Bitcoin has average durability. It has only been around for 13 years, but the digital nature of it makes it infinitely durable. Given enough time, this might be more durable than gold. Because we find a huge repository of gold in the Earth's crust or on an asteroid that could devalue gold. Bitcoin being digital and perfectly scarce will give it more durability given enough time. The third property, acceptability, is an interesting topic regarding Bitcoin at the moment. Bitcoin is still in its infancy and has to be a stable store of value before it will be widely used for payments. However, there have been many instances of people trying to sell goods and services for Bitcoin. Recently, Russia stated that they would accept Bitcoin as payment for oil. The change in acceptability is happening right before our eyes, but I believe Bitcoin still has a long way to go in regards to being a store of value first. So it will probably be a few years before Bitcoin is accepted for your everyday purchase of goods and services. The fourth property, portability, is an extremely important one for Bitcoin. Recall the question I asked earlier. How are refugees going to bring their wealth with them? How are refugees of a war-torn country going to flee with their life savings? The answer is now simple, with Bitcoin. All they need to do is memorize 12 words to have access to their wealth anywhere in the world. I will discuss this process in a later episode, but think of the 12 words as a password to their digital wallet. The wallet itself is digital, so if they just memorize the 12 words, they can access it anywhere in the world if they had to leave everything behind. This is a huge step forward for humanity because at its core, Bitcoin helps the most financially vulnerable maintain their lifelong savings in a network that the government cannot inflate or devalue. The fifth property, Divisibility is a fun one for Bitcoin. There's a common misconception that Bitcoin is too expensive. I mean, $45,000 for one Bitcoin? How could that be a currency for the people? Let me clear this up. One Bitcoin can be broken down into 100 million units, called Satoshis. If you were to go on an exchange and purchase some Bitcoin, you could buy any amount of Satoshis. 
so long as the exchange doesn't have a minimum exchange amount. Most exchanges have a minimum at like $1 or $5. So yes, buying a whole Bitcoin would be expensive, depending on how you view Bitcoin. But it can be broken down into very small units called Satoshis. The last property of money, fungibility, is an interesting one for Bitcoin at the moment. Yes, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin on the base level of the network. But some Bitcoiners have theorized that if the government wanted to, they could force companies to only accept Bitcoin that could be identified to a person. Since Bitcoin is an open blockchain, the government could be able to track certain Bitcoins going from one wallet to the next. For instance, when I buy Satoshis on the exchange and send it to my digital wallet, there is a record of those Satoshis being associated with my name because of the laws and regulations that the exchange has to adhere to in order to be compliant with the government. So the answer to Bitcoin being fungible, it is indeed fungible, so long as the government has the power or capability to enforce a blacklist. So to wrap it all up, money in general is a winner-take-all game, especially if everyone has the same access to it. Today, the U.S. dollar has the privilege of being the reserve asset for most of the world, but not everyone has the same access to it. Additionally, the government is printing money at a rate we have never seen before. In contrast, Bitcoin has the strongest monetary attributes that us humans value in money, so why couldn't it be the reserve asset of the world? When all you need is internet access to use and secure Bitcoin, I believe the world is ready for this digital, perfectly scarce, durable, highly divisible, highly portable, open monetary network. It is just a matter of time where we will see the acceptability and fungibility of Bitcoin play out. For more information on the dimensions, functions, and properties of money, I recommend listening to Robert Breedlove's podcast show titled What is Money? If you prefer reading, I recommend The Seventh Property by Eric Yakes. He does a great breakdown of the dimensions, functions, and properties. He even argues for a seventh property of immutability, which basically means the money itself cannot be changed without consensus. If you got to the end here, let me know how I did in this explanation by subscribing to the podcast and clicking the little bell icon for future content. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at ColinMKA or shoot me an email at ColinMKA at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and keep on learning. <laughs>